The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning. My name is Jim Doremus. Uh, I sound like Kermit the Frog today, but I'm not. I am the community pastor here at Ecclesia on the west side. I've been here in that responsibility for about three years. Uh, the 12 prior to that, I was the pastor here at Memorial Drive Baptist Church before we merged with Ecclesia. If you're like me, and hopefully there's a lot of ways you're not like me, but uh, you've probably had heroes growing up. And if you were to ask me when I was growing up, who are your heroes? I probably would have named some Marvel comic book characters. I might have come up with a musician or two, maybe a professional athlete. Those are who all my book reports were about. I mean, stellar education when I was growing up. But I, I had an interesting experience that in our small group, one of them that meets here on Wednesday night, is that we pass around a little outline in order for us to get to know each other better. And some of us had known each other for 15 years. And this outline was, share with us your history, your highlights, your heartaches, and your heroes. And it was interesting that when people listed their heroes, I had never heard of any one of their heroes, and they had never heard of mine either. And so I began to ask the question, well, what really is a hero? And if you were to ask me, you know, Jim, are you a hero? I would say more times than not, I feel more like a zero than I do a hero. So Jim, why would you say that? Well, just when I think back about some things maybe in my family that I said that I shouldn't have said, or some things that I didn't say that I should have said, maybe even career-wise, you know, I've thought about, well, what if I've done this or gone here or not gone there? And even recreationally, back in the spring, my brother and I rode in a bicycle. It's a race, but we weren't racing. We were just trying to finish. It's it's billed as the toughest race east of the Mississippi. It's a qualifier for world championships, and we're not world-class racers. And so there's an ultra distance. And we were both trying to go for the ultra distance. And it was timed. You had to make certain marks by a certain time, or you didn't, you know, they'd send you on the shorter distance. And I didn't make the final one. And I went a really, really long way for me and climbed a lot of altitude for somebody who lives in Houston. But I felt like a zero afterwards. And so as I've given this some more thought about what is a hero, is a hero someone who is physically flawless? Maybe it's, is it someone who's emotionally just a rock? Someone in their career there at the top of their field? Or maybe someone who is spiritually, they're just a little bit short of being an angel. And as I've thought about that some more, I think know that those are more characteristics that we assign to celebrities. And in the culture in which we live, that is even heightened by social media. And I'm not down on social media, but we get this idea that we really know people, celebrities, because, I mean, we're a friend of theirs, or we're you know, on Snapchat, we get their pictures. But no, that's not really what a hero is, I don't think. That heroes are not known by a lot of people. I think even in our Christian culture, we've succumbed to this celebrity phenomenon 
We have celebrity pastors and musicians and speakers and authors. Celebrities are well known. Oftentimes heroes are only known to one or maybe just a few people. This morning I want to introduce to you a hero. He's not a celebrity because he's not very well known. As a matter of fact, he's only mentioned twice in one very small book of the Bible. His name is difficult to pronounce and is even more of a challenge for me to spell. His name is Epaphroditus. And so why would I call Epaphroditus a hero? Let me give you a little background. Is that Paul is writing a letter. He's in a Roman prison. And while he's in prison, he's being imprisoned because of his relationship with Jesus and his proclivity to tell people about that relationship. And so as he's writing a letter, he has received a visitor from a church. And as he's in prison and he writes this letter, he writes four of them while he's in this particular imprisonment. He writes Ephesians and Colossians, Philemon and Philippians. And this guest that he has from the city of Philippi is Epaphroditus. Would you join me as I read? I'll read, if you will listen, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed, because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So how does Paul describe Epaphroditus? He describes him, first of all, as a brother, someone who had become a follower of Jesus. And here we get some idea into who this individual was because we don't know a lot about him. But his name is a derivative from the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love, passion, and pleasure. Use your imagination. It's likely, okay, it's likely that his parents were worshipers of this Greek goddess, and in honor of this goddess, they named their son after her. Epaphroditus was not this nice little Jewish boy who grows up going to the synagogue. He knows the Old Testament scriptures. He hears about Jesus, and then he becomes a follower of Jesus. So how did he become a Christ follower? When Paul traveled to Philippi, he began to tell people about Christ. Both Jewish people and Gentile people became followers of Jesus. He says that he was a brother, that he was a fellow worker and a messenger. And I'm going to put these two together for us this morning. He was a worker. Now, there was a church there in Rome, a gathering of believers. They didn't have a physical building like we have in our venue today. But as they gathered together, it's not beyond reason to think that Epaphroditus was a worker in that church while he was there visiting Paul. 
Maybe he set up chairs after the 11 o'clock gathering. Maybe he worked in the kids space. Maybe he was enlisting people to serve during the course of the service. I don't really know. But Paul says that he was a worker. But he also says that he was a messenger. And a messenger in Paul's day was certainly a worker. For Epaphroditus to make this journey from Philippi to Rome, he had to walk 362 miles to the Aegean Sea, board a ship two days' journey, walk another 360 miles to Rome. It would generally take an individual about six months to make this journey. So to be a messenger was to be a worker. That also says that he was a brother, messenger, worker, and minister to my need. How would you like that assignment? I couldn't imagine if Wayne came to me and said, Jim, I want you to take a trip and I want you to go to minister to Paul. I mean, this guy is responsible human-wise for penning more than 50% of the New Testament. What do you say when you get there? Well, Paul, just trust Jesus and it'll get better. You've probably had the experience of maybe when somebody close to you was going through a very difficult experience, or maybe it was even you, and there are no right answers. There's nothing that you can really say that will make things get better, but it's just the presence of being with someone that can be a minister to somebody's need. And then he says, he describes him as a fellow soldier. Now, I'm well aware that Paul could be speaking metaphorically here. If you can find a hymnal that you can flip through there, and there is a hymn that's titled Onward Christian Soldiers. Now, does that mean that we pass out, you know, wooden rifles at the door and we have marching drills in here? No, that's not what it means. It's speaking metaphorically. But I think there's more to this than just metaphorically. You see, in 42 BC, Augustus, who becomes Caesar won a very influential and significant battle outside the city of Philippi. And in celebration of this great victory, he made the city of Philippi a Roman colony, a Roman city. Say, well, Jim, what's the big deal about that? It was huge in his day. Because if you were a resident of that city, you were a Roman citizen. Jim, what's the big deal about that? Well, one is that you were guaranteed a trial by jury. We take that for granted here in the United States. But in the first century, if someone, Roman authority, just said, we're throwing you into prison, they could just do it. No trial. You could stay there your entire life. So a trial by jury. You also were guaranteed you would never be scourged as Jesus was scourged before he went to the cross. And then lastly, you're guaranteed to never pay taxes. I'd sign up for that one, okay? Anybody with me on that one? So it was huge that this was a Roman colony and they were made up of Roman citizens. So Paul, as he is being in prison, he is physically chained to a guard. That guard rotated every four hours to a new guard. These guards were the Praetorian guards, Caesar's guards, the Navy SEALs of that day, if you allow me to describe it that way. And so when, C when Augustus becomes Caesar, because Philippi is such a desirable place to live, 
When his praetorian guards, his personal guards retired after 20 to 25 years of service, if they lived that long, he gave them land in Philippi. So I think it's reasonable, it's not outside the box, to think that here is Paul, he's chained to these praetorian guards, and here comes Epaphroditus. I think Epaphroditus, because Paul refers to him as a fellow soldier, may have been one of those praetorian guards in Caesar's entourage. And so he retires, he moves to Philippi, he's kicked his feet up, he has his lazy boy and his 72 inch flat screen in front of him. It's the good life. But while he's there in Philippi, Paul comes in, he preaches the gospel and here Epaphroditus hears about Jesus and he gives his life to Christ. In chapter one, verse 13, Paul makes this comment. He says, for I want you to know, brethren, that my present circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Now, why did he say that? Was he just trying to go, hey, well, just look who I'm talking to. That's not who Paul was. Because I think as he's writing this letter that is going to go back to Philippi, is that he knows that there are retired Praetorian guards back there, some of them who have given their lives to Christ. And they would want to know that at least some of the people that they knew or people who served as they had served, that they were hearing the gospel as well. Also in chapter four, he says, I want to greet, he said, all the saints here greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Why would he say that? To puff himself up? No, I don't think so. I think he said that so that they would know because they would know people on either end of this. So if you're looking for a celebrity, Epaphroditus is not a celebrity. He grew up in a pagan household. He's named after a pagan goddess. His parents probably worshiped that goddess. He serves in the Roman army. He retires to Philippi, where I think he probably became a Christ follower. So I don't know if you're like me, but at those times when we feel like a zero instead of a hero, I began to reflect as what is a hero? Some things that I see in the life of Epaphroditus, you're a hero if you are a brother or sister in Christ, one who has come to Christ, regardless of your background. Paul, when he's writing another letter to the church in Rome, writes this, I mean, to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if any man or woman is in Christ, you are a new creature. The old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. We saw a physical representation of that a couple of weeks ago when a young lady, Connie, was baptized is that that old person goes under the water metaphorically and a new person rises up out of the water. How many times did Epaphroditus beat himself up for all the things he did as a Roman soldier? One of Caesar's guards. He probably had the opportunity to do it a lot, but yet Paul calls him a brother. That's a tall statement. If you're a Christ follower, regardless of what you've done, or what you haven't done. You are a brother or a sister, and you're surrounded by brothers and sisters.
You know, we have celebrity heroes even in the state of Texas. If you drive up I-45, that there's a 67-foot tall statue of who? Sam Houston. It sits on a 10-foot base, 77 feet of Sam Houston, okay? First time I drove up there, I couldn't believe it, you know? But we all know we're familiar with Sam Houston. If you took Texas history, I didn't, but I listened to an audio book. <laughs> and we all know the Battle of San Jacinto. Sam Houston is leading the charge. His horse is shot out from underneath him. He steps off the horse. And another soldier gives him another horse. He's riding in. He's leading the charge. That horse is shot. He's also wounded in his leg. He almost loses that leg in the months following the battle. But in 18 minutes, he defeats Santa Anna, right? But this is what we don't really remember about Sam Houston. You know, he was once governor of the state of Tennessee before he ever came to Texas. He had married a daughter of a very prominent family. He was on track to become president of the United States. Andrew Jackson was his mentor who would become president of the United States. And so he made a false accusation about the chastity of his wife. And in that day and time, if you made a false accusation, it was just not socially accepted. He had to resign his governorship of the state of Tennessee. What did he do? Well, when he was 16, he went to live with the Cherokee Nation. So he went back after he resigned his governorship to the Cherokee Nation. I can't pronounce his Cherokee name, but it was translated the big drunk. He marries a Cherokee lady. They develop a little trading company. And then he hears about Texas, you know, like 12 cents an acre that you could buy land here. So he leaves her. He does give her the, uh, the trading business. And he comes to Texas. And as they say, the rest is history. A little past what Texas history leaves off is that Sam Houston marries again. He marries the daughter of a Baptist pastor. He by all accounts, gives his life to Christ when he's being baptized, is that the pastor said, this is representative of Jesus washing your sins away. And it's, it's reported that he turns to the pastor and says, I feel sorry for all the fish downstream. <laughs> so regardless of what you've done or you haven't done, you're a hero if you've made that heroic step to become a Christ follower. If you're not sure how to do that, or you're not sure if you've ever done that, it would be the joy of my life to sit down and explain how you could do that. I think you're also a hero if you're selfless. Epaphroditus, I envision this. He's sitting in the church. Luke, who was at one time the pastor of the church there in Philippi says, hey, we have this offering that we've taken up for Paul because he really needs it to pay his bills while he's there under house arrest. So how, who, who will go? I think Epaphroditus raises his hand. He says, I'll go. He was selfless. He could have just stayed right where he was. He was retired. Paul in chapter two of Philippians says this about the ultimate picture of selflessness. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you take a step of selflessness, that's a heroic step, and you're a hero. I think another characteristic that I, of a hero is someone who runs to the finish. Epaphroditus didn't have the attitude, let somebody else do it. I've done my time. I mean, I'm, I'm retired. This is supposed to be the golden years. I've earned this rest. But he didn't do that. He wanted to run through the finish, not just slide in at the end. And then lastly, I think a hero is someone who is a risk taker. This was a risk for him to do this. It was a risk to make the journey because he could have been robbed. He's carrying money. He could have shipwrecked. Paul on a similar journey was shipwrecked. It was not uncommon. He could succumb even to illness. As a matter of fact, he did succumb to illness as we read earlier in chapter two. He says, but he, but he was sick even to the point of death. In that day and time, if your health started to decline, there weren't these, you know, recoveries unless there was miraculous intervention. And evidently, that happened. I don't know if we have any celebrities here today, and occasionally we do, but I know that we have a lot of heroes because there's brothers and sisters. There are people who do selfless things for others. There are people who are finishing strong, and there are people who take risks. This morning, I want to introduce to you two of my friends, and they will push back on this, okay, but they are heroes, and I would, uh, they're going to share some of their journey with us, and so Bobby and Pam, Bobby Reynolds and Pam Parrott, if you will come and join me. Okay, Bobby. We're going to let you go first. And so if, if you would just share with me just some of your journey. All right. Well, my name is Bobby. I was born in Houston, uh, moved to Wembley, went to high school up there, uh, came back to Houston, went to work uh, as a salesperson for a large retail store, uh, furniture store. Uh, and... 2005, my mother needed a liver transplant, so I helped her out, and she moved. I got a house in West Houston, and she moved in with me. Later on, her new liver developed cancer, and she was very sick. And one night, I went out into the garage, and I collapsed and laid out there for seven hours. Uh, when I finally woke up, I couldn't move my leg. It did nerve damage. And my mother was in the house, you know, sick. So I uh, got an uh, ambulance out there to get me, and they took me to the hospital, uh, kept me in intensive care for five days, never learned out why I collapsed. Uh, got back home, my mother, I was admitted to the hospital, uh, but eventually she wanted to come back home and she passed away in 2012. And I went through all my life savings trying to keep the house up and her. I finally went back to work uh, 
doing deliveries and sales for a brother-in-law. And I got to the point, for some reason, I just didn't want to do it anymore. Didn't want to get up. So I sold my house. Uh, after I had it remodeled, sold it. And with the, the funds I got from that, I paid off all my bills, paid off my van, which that I used for work. And I just started living in my van. Got, uh, didn't know what I was doing, just wanted to quit. Uh, finally, uh, I felt bad one night and, and I went to the emergency room at Methodist out here at uh, Barker Cypress, you know, west of town. And they said my blood pressure was 249 over 150. And so they kept me overnight. And of course, they can't give you any medicine or anything to, when you leave the hospital. So they set me up to go to a place called Christ Clinic. And I got a, saw a psychiatrist and talked to her for a while. They gave me medicine for my nerve damage in my leg uh, and some medicine to help me sleep at night. So one night I was in the parking lot at a Randall's, uh, took my sleeping medicine the first time and really fixed to fall asleep and there was these lights come on and I thought it was a record. And with my eyesight and everything, I couldn't tell exactly what kind of truck it was. So I drove off. It wasn't a record, it was the sheriff's department. So they arrested me for evading arrest. He, uh, I didn't have any phone numbers to call anybody. Uh, they took me to jail. I stayed there for four months. In the meantime, they sold my van at auction with all my belongings in it, my brother's ashes from his funeral. And they did give me medicine while I was there. Then I finally, the reason I stayed there probably so long is because I kept saying I want to go to a jury trial. And they just kept postponing and postponing. And of course, the people that uh, impounded my van sold it. So I got out of there, out of the jail, after four months, and made it to a, a Katie Ministries, and they referred me to a halfway house. She said, you can do landscaping work, and they help you get your medicine stuff. And actually what it was is a place that you pick up trash on the highway uh, for $2 a day, room and board, you know. And I couldn't handle it, it was horrible. The, uh, around people that I wasn't used to. Uh, so I just got up and left and went to Walmart, got me uh, two tarps and a sleeping bag and made it to park and ride at, off of Park Row and just camped out in a field, didn't know what I was gonna do. Okay, thanks Bobby. Pam, take us from where you meet Bobby. Good morning. In early January 2018, I parked at the Metro Park and Ride lot on my way to work downtown. My usual spot faces a street, and across the street is a field. And it's bordered by the dam and the surrounding woods of Attucks Reservoir. 
I was having a really nice pity party that morning because um, our home had recently flooded in Hurricane Harvey. We were sleeping in a trailer, myself and my two children in a trailer in the driveway of that home, and just having to go to work that day. As I sat staring out the windshield, procrastinating going into work, I was staring across into this field that um, the there was a color that stood out in that winter brown grassy field and it was a blue tarp that looked like it was propped up like a tiny pup tent about looked like about 18 inches high and as I was staring I was startled out of my daze by the tarp standing up and and it um, it was a man wearing just a shirt and a pair of jeans, and he wrapped the tarp around his shoulders like a cape, turned around, and started walking away. It was so cold that morning. I remember ice all over everything, scraping it off my windshield that morning, and I instantly scolded myself for having been whining about sleeping in a heated trailer in the driveway when I considered how cold he must have been. And then I thought, there are about a dozen other homeless people down about a quarter mile west of this spot, and I couldn't figure out why he wasn't uh, part of their encampment with tents and sleeping bags and everything. It seemed like they needed to stay at least somewhat comfortable. And then I, then I considered that if I was in issues, I would probably not be down there in nonstop traffic and people and be out in a field in nature myself. But the blue cape man walked away off into the woods and I just got out of my car and went to work. No matter how much I tried, I could not shake the thoughts of that man from my head. It didn't help that I kept seeing him day after day. One day, I remember in the car one morning after seeing him again, I, in an almost defiant tone said, okay, God, you pointed him out to me, what do you want me to do? I didn't hear an audible response, but I did feel an urgent need to at least try and make him more comfortable. I went home that night and told my kids about him, and we started gathering supplies, just warm things, um, non-perishable foods, first aid, toiletries, a thick foam mat, a propane camp stove, some propane, and a big Rubbermaid packer box to put it all in. Uh, also in that box, I put my old Bible, um, some cardstock paper, pens, and a note. And my note said, Dear child of God, hi there. Thought you might could use a few things. I see you from time to time, and I thought this stuff might help. If you need something in particular, write me a note and leave it in the chain link fence across the street, right across from you. I'll find it, and maybe I can do more. I'm giving you my well-worn Bible because I have loved it. I hope it brings you joy and comfort. Sincerely, some friends. On the top of the box, we taped a simple note that said, for you. Ultimately, the box was too heavy for me to drag into the field on my way to work. So I began the daily harassment of my 21-year-old son, who's as strong as a grizzly bear, to take it over there for me. Finally, one mid-January day, he did take it over there and put it near the man's spot near the woods. I looked that afternoon for a note, and there wasn't one. 
Saturday and Sunday were the next days. I looked, we, we drove by and looked at the park and ride lot and there was no note. I resigned myself to the fact that he may not be able to speak English, he may not know how to read, he may just not want to write a note back. So while I would be disappointed, that would just have to be okay. Monday morning, back to my usual routine, I parked in my usual spot and I looked up to see a piece of paper rolled up and stuck in the chain link fence. It was a note. And this is what it said. Hi, my name is Bobby. The day when you left all those wonderful things was my 61st birthday. I can't imagine of a way to thank you. I'm so grateful of all y'all's kindness. Hope you get this note, let me know. His birthday. God surely knew I would hesitate to act and he knew my son would procrastinate that first drop was it all just to make a special point to Bobby on his birthday? I couldn't wait to write a note back. That day I did, I wrote a second note and stuck it in the fence and this began an old school pen pal-like correspondence that lasted 11 months. This notebook is full of our fence mail. Through notes, we got to know each other. One of his notes said, I thought I was invisible, but you could see me. That one too had me crying on the bus. I asked about his needs and if there was anything I could do to change his situation. He wrote that he needed medical treatment for his leg for high blood pressure and for his cataracts and that he wanted treatment for severe depression and anxiety. Another thing we had in common is that I too in my 20s and 30s suffered from paralyzing depression and anxiety. He said his ultimate dream was to have a little place someday and a dog to call his own, or as he, were, as he put it, a little dog to belong to. I had no idea where to start, but as a legal assistant, I know how to research. I started reaching out to nonprofits, and it was hit and miss for a while, but I finally landed on some that were filled with people who truly care about the people who seek assistance from them treating them with dignity, respect, and kindness. I gave Bobby their information, loaded a bus pass, and then from there, he did all the work. He attended many meetings and appointments, complied with their every request. It wasn't easy, but he persisted. Finally, in November 2018, his housing request came through and he was placed into a little apartment. I finally asked to meet him and so we went to lunch one day in early December at Cafe Express downtown. There I learned that he is a soft-spoken, incredibly intelligent, funny, true blue Texas gentleman who loves music, sports, and animals. A couple of weeks later, his doctor provided him a prescription for a service dog, and from there we began the, the search for this precious creature right here. And if you haven't met him yet, his name is Scout. And he'd love to meet you and have pets. This next month, January 2019, Bobby ran the Chevron Houston 5K. And while I don't remember his exact ranking, he placed in the top half of the pack for sure. And we surprised him that day showing up. He didn't know we were going to be there. We surprised him with notes and everybody was saying, I want to be Bobby. <laughs> 
Um, eventually, Bobby started joining us here at Ecclesia on Sundays and started hanging out with us some weekends. I can't begin to tell you how much he's helped us around the house as we continue to recover from Hurricane Harvey. Now he's like a superhero and brother to me, and he's a permanent member of our family. We love him so much, and we love Scout so much, and I'm so grateful God pointed him out to me that day. Thank you. First time I ever heard the story, Bobby and I were in Pinkerton's barbecue, and I'm sure that the patrons there thought, boy, he's gotten hold of some hot jalapenos, because I mean, man, I was just, <laughs> just like I'm almost now. But you can see why I said, they're two heroes, brother and sister, selfless, not just sliding in at the end, and someone who takes a risk. They both took risk. As we stand on the forefront of 2020, I want you to just picture yourself standing on the forefront of 2021. And as you look back at 2020, is that my challenge for us is that if you've never made that heroic step of becoming a Christ follower, that you would take that step. If God has spoken to you about some selfless act, or maybe you just want to avail yourself to a God, I want to be more selfless. Or maybe it's finishing strong. Or maybe it's taking a risk. That that's my prayer for us today, is that we would take the example not of celebrities, but of heroes. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for how you take something that is done with great love and you do incredible things with it. And so, Father, I pray that as we step into 2020, Lord, that we may be known as brothers and sisters, selfless people, finishing strong and taking risk for you. Father, I thank you that on that night, Jesus, our ultimate hero, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he blessed it, and that very next day, he put it all on the line for us by dying in our place. So Father, I thank you for that example. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to remember that today. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org. 